There are things that we experience but never talk about. A shadow moving in a corner, flickering of the lights, a disembodied voice. We invite you to talk with us, share your story, share your evidence, because this isn't just your story, this is our story. This is Ghostbox Radio. And this is Ghostbox Radio on AM 950, where every week we talk about the paranormal, ufology, Bigfoot, or just the unusual. My name is Greg Bakken, and thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, Patrick, I do have to say real fast before we get to our guest, which I am so excited about. I'm so excited to talk about uh, this subject today. But uh, I, I realized that I am actually not very gregarious, which is unfortunate because Greg is in the word. Um, I think I am actually very, uh, very uh, kind of dour and and not friendly at all <laughs> is what I think that I've, I've figured out. And I'll tell you why, Patrick, is because on my way here, I stopped at Speedway, which to me will always be Super America, mm -hmm. and I got myself a Mountain Dew, and there was a guy in front of me you know, with the cashier, and he was telling the cashier his whole life story about business and how he's you know, making things work and his profit margins and all this stuff. It wasn't a sales call, wasn't anything like that, and my God, stop, go away. I just want to buy my pop and, and move on with my day. No, I totally get that, what you mean, like, like, you know, there are people waiting in line behind you who actually do get some social interaction and, oh, I'm sorry, I went there, Mr. Businessman. Yeah, nope, I, I just feel like that, um, and, and luckily, because you, you, in those situations, you always look at the cashier, like, how is she handling it? Is she just, like, all apart it, maybe they're old friends, or is she, and she kind of did the, held out her hand and kind of, like, kind of like uh, waved me over. So I, I think she was done with him too. So I'm not friendly. We got that out of the way. And that's okay because I'm a paranormal investigator. So we are, you know, we're, we, we, we only talk, we don't talk to the living as much. We talk to spirits. And uh, last night I watched a uh, documentary that we're going to be talking about today. And I don't even know if documentary is quite the right word for it because it's, it's, it's a lot more to it than a lot more. And I'm really excited um, to be able to uh, talk with uh, the, the person who put it all together. Steve Shippey grew up in a small town near Saginaw, Michigan, and literally was the kid living in the creepy house on the corner. Steve was a victim of a severe haunting and actually witnessed several apparitions. After investigating his own haunting, he discovered a shocking truth. The previous owners have been brutally murdered. Steve began documenting his work on film and to date has produced and directed 10 films or sorry, 10 feature length documentaries, all available on Amazon Prime, including A Haunting on Hamilton Street, A Haunting on Dice Road and A Haunting on Brockway Street, where he investigates haunted locations to uncover the truth and hopefully bring closure for residents of small towns like this. His newest shock doc, Michigan Hell House, premieres Sunday, February 19th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on Travel Channel and drops on Discovery Plus the same day. Steve, welcome to Ghostbox Radio. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Oh, my goodness. Thank you very much. You know, uh, first of all, how many shock docs have you done now? Um, I believe this will be my, my fourth shock doc. Gosh. And, and do I even... 
do I even call it the right thing when I say documentary? Because a documentary to me, which I love documentaries, it really presents information as kind of in past tense in, a, in certain ways. This to me seems so much more or, organic than that. Is it, would, would, what would you call that? I mean, apart from shock docs, obviously. Well, you know, I, I guess it, it is, you know, it is a documentary, uh, but it's kind of a kind of a hybrid of a of a documentary telling uh, a story of a situation past, but then also present with the active investigation element. So it's it's kind of an interesting hybrid. Can you tell us um, what Michigan Hell House is about, please? And once again, folks, this this is airing and we're recording this early. But when you're listening to this, uh, it airs. Sunday night, so that would be tonight, uh, at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on Travel Channel. Steve, what's the documentary about? Well, you know, it's I like to refer to this case as the greatest, most prolific haunting in American history that you've never heard of. And I know that sounds like a very bizarre uh, and bold statement to make, but this case all uh, it began all the way back in 1974. Uh, the Pomeranian family built their house in 1951 uh, from land that was given to uh, Mr. Pomeranian by his father. That land had been in their family for over a century. Uh, he built the house with his new wife, Mabel, and uh, they were ready to start a family and uh, and basically do what people do in these rural farming communities and just kind of uh, live a simple life. So they began to uh, have their, their happy home and their, their life, and about 20 years into this peaceful existence, it all changes. Uh, one night, the family was asleep. They heard the sound of shattering glass. They all wake up, and they run out to the living room, and they see that the large picture window in their home had been completely blown in. Now, they called the police, and they thought maybe it was the work of some teenagers in the neighborhood, vandals, something of that nature. Police took a report, and uh, the next night, around the same time, the house starts to experience something different, uh, pounding on the side of the house, as if somebody was, you know, beating the side of the house with a sledgehammer is the way the family described it. Um, it started off on one corner of it, and uh, within a few minutes, it sounded like there were multiple people doing it all around the house at the same time. So they run outside, they look, there's nobody there. They come back in the house, the second they walk back in the house, it starts again. They run back out, nobody's there. They call the police. They come out, they look for footprints and different pieces of evidence or, or hoping that there would be. Uh, there's nothing. There's indentations in the siding. You can see where the damage had occurred, but there was no footprints or anything else. They took a report, and basically from that night forward, every single day, that family had to call the police uh, for what escalated into one of the most insane things you could ever imagine. Wow. And... and so, you know, one of, one of the things, as you said, and one of the most prolific that no one's ever heard of, and that's a, such a lofty statement, but you watch this documentary and you have to, you have to say to yourself, it is. Because, I mean, there is so much, there is so much that happens here and it's such a short amount of time. You know, the question that hit my mind as soon as I started watching this was, you know, how many more of these sort of things are happening not less necessarily even around the world, but even just in America that we don't know about because it it didn't have the 
uh, the attention that, say, Amityville did or the attention that you're bringing to this story? I mean, there has to be others out there, too, that that are just like they're just kind of currently lost to time. Yeah, I believe that's certainly possible. You know, with this case in particular, um, it was that way by design. And the, and the reason sure. I say that is because the police truly felt uh, that for the longest time, this was considered a criminal investigation, which is very interesting. And, and, I, and the reason for that is because the police were coming out there repeatedly for these calls. And then after a while, they began to experience things. They would hear things. They would see things that they couldn't explain. So, you know, being very fact-driven individuals, evidence-based individuals, they weren't going to say, hey, this is paranormal. They thought, okay, we were seeing it, hearing it, sensing it, whatever it may be, whether it be the concussion explosions, whether it be the voices, uh, whether it was them seeing things move on their own. So they thought, okay, there has to be an explanation. There has to be. Uh, So at one point, uh, they actually thought maybe the family themselves were doing this, you know, maybe for attention, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, you you can't really blame them. They were trying to cross everything off their list to try to explain this. Uh, the family uh, was surveilled. There were stakeouts conducted. Um, I'll, I'll give you one of, one of the stories uh, that took place on Halloween night of all nights on uh, 1974. The uh, chief of police, uh, sorry, the captain went out there and he told the family, okay, look, you know, we've been investigating this now for months. I'm going to come here today. I'm going to sit on the floor so nobody can see me through the windows. And uh, as soon as that expletive uh, shows up and starts pounding on the house, I'm going to go out there and we're going to catch him. This is going to end tonight. Now, what the family didn't know was there were uh, sheriffs and deputies and and, and different uh, investigators all around the house, hiding in the cornfield and across the road in the ditch, and they were watching the house from every angle. He sat there for a while, nothing happened, and then after a couple of hours, sure enough, boom, 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 that, you know, that just pounding starts wailing on the side of the house so the captain he gets on his uh his walkie and he says you know it's happening close in close in well all the officers lying in wait outside can see the house only 20 yards away no one's there they hear nothing they see nothing but yet when the captain is yelling through the walkie talkie they can hear the pounding um through his transmission so at that point, they thought, okay, well, enough's enough. There has to be an explanation. So they brought uh, one of the sons in and polygraphed him, uh, brought another son in, polygraphed him. Ultimately, they, they polygraphed the family. They were able to clear them. Uh, they you know realized it wasn't them. But then ultimately, they thought, okay, well, again, we know this is happening. If it's not them, then who is it? Is somebody doing this to them? So they started to... Uh, basically stripped the house looking for any kind of wiring, speakers, uh, anything that could explain these bizarre occurrences. Again, there was no explanation. Uh, After that, they thought, okay, well, we've ruled them out. We've ruled out any other type of interference from from a person or another party. What if it was a natural occurrence somehow? So they brought out a seismograph machine and geologists to see could there be any type of uh, fall line or, or something underneath the house that would cause these rumbles and concussions. Nothing. They brought out the gas company. You know, could that be, could, could somehow that be attributed to it? They found nothing. The electrical company, nothing. Uh, ultimately, they were drawing at straws. At one point, they thought, okay, well, you know, an airport was recently built about 20 miles away. 
what if it could possibly be the radar bouncing off the house? The FAA comes out. They do an investigation. They say, no, no, it's not possible. I mean, they did everything you could ever imagine to try to figure out what was happening there. In the end, they had to conclude that it was something that they literally could not explain. Wow. That, I mean, and that's just going to open so many more questions. And what, let's do this, Steve. Let's take our first break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with paranormal investigator and filmmaker Steve Shippey. You're listening to Ghost Box Radio on AM 950. And welcome back to Ghost Box Radio on AM 950. My name is Greg Bach, and thank you for joining us. Our guest today is paranormal investigator and filmmaker Steve Shippey, whose latest installment of Shock Docs titled Michigan Hell House airs Sunday, February 19th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're listening to this on Sunday, that's tonight on the Travel Channel and drops on Discovery Plus the same day. Uh, there's a there's a lot to talk about. And Steve, one of the things I wanted to talk about, draw your attention to, uh, was the neighbors across the street uh, from uh, where all this was happening. Uh, and uh, I, what what hit me about that was, if I may share a kind of a, a personal story, I had a friend uh, years ago who, in his twenties, moved into a house in uh, over in uh, northeast Minneapolis and uh, or North Minneapolis, excuse me. And the house next door, he befriended uh, a couple people there, and one of them uh, was a she. She was a witch, and that was my very first time having any interaction with a witch. Knowing so many years later that that's not a negative connotation, but at the time it was kind of unheard of. Um, but that being said, weird stuff was happening over there. Uh, my friend would look out his window that buddied up to their house and you'd see apparitions in the window that he would say were angels. I'm not sure if they're angels. And then one day I went over to see him and he was and my friends were telling me something's wrong, something's wrong, I went over to see him. Those two neighbors have lauded him virtually as the second coming of Christ. And I'm not kidding, where they kind of, he sat in his couch. They all sat around him. This is my friend that's on the couch who is like, I'm having visions of, of the future and I'm having visions of, you know, mass destruction. I'm having, and they're all around him, like, you know, kind of like literally almost like hands in the air sort of thing. That hit me immediately when you were talking, when, when it kind of focus went over to the neighbors across the street in this documentary. Yeah, that that sounds like a, definitely a pretty chilling situation that, to see your friend uh, in that situation. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, so the thing the thing is, it's like uh, you know, there there is a lot of. I mean, it's. I, I guess the thing that is is interesting about this is that it, there appears to be a link between that house with the people living over there and and like uh, the house that all of this and I, I I'm always forgetting the name of of the family that's there the palm the uh, Pomerings. Pomerings, thank you very much um, and I mean that I mean that's that whole kind of co- coven was that is that is that something that is uh, is often seen in that area of Michigan, or is that just kind of one-offs? I mean, I, I did, it, it's, it is chilling. Now, we've, we actually have heard a lot of different reports, uh, you know, through, I guess, anecdotal 
uh, type of evidence where, you know, locals have said for years that there's been uh, witchcraft practice in different places. Also, uh, I guess a little bit darker than that, uh, some satanic worship out in the woods. Uh, we, we have interviewed people, I guess, that have basically been stumbling across different things that they found out in the woods for at least going on 50 to 60 years. Um, a lot of these interviews I haven't released yet. I'm kind of working on a larger overall picture of this area, but it does seem to be something tied to that that region. When you were doing the research, uh, and did you were you able to find out the identity of the woman that lived across the street? Yes. I, I figured you would have, and I also understand why it doesn't go any further than that. But I was I was just curious about that. I mean, because there is so much. Do you know, I mean, maybe this is a question too far. Do you know if, if that person's still around, if they're still alive? Well, you know, there, there's a lot more to come on that. Okay. Know? So, Good. yeah. Because, uh, you know, believe it or not, I've been investigating this case for eight years. And I was going to talk about that because this is this is more, you know, personal. I guess is the right word. I don't want to cliche like in this time for Steve. It's personal. It's but it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. But there is some because you you don't live far. You didn't grow up far from where this took place. No, I mean I, I live only about fifteen miles from from where this happened, and uh, you know that that alone is very strange. And I, and let me explain why. Right. Mm-hmm. So in my in my my city here of Saginaw, we uh you know we release a documentary film every year. We do a big worldwide premiere at an at an old uh, actually an old haunted uh, very historic theater here called the Temple Theater. Mm. And the reason I bring that up is we have about four thousand people attend these premieres every year. That's a lot of people, and we do a lot of meet and greets, and we you know we talk with hundreds of those individuals every year. Uh, of course, they correspond with us online, et cetera. The reason I bring that up is after all these years and being, you know, the, I guess the, I don't want to say the number one person that's dealing with hauntings in this area, but, you know, mm-hmm. but yes. And, uh, you know, we, we hear about every case, uh, past, present, uh, you name it. Everything has come across uh, our desk in one way, shape, or form or another. This case being 15 minutes away from here, nobody... No one has ever brought it up to us. We've never, ever heard of this situation. Now, the only reason I came across this information is somebody kept reaching out to me uh, anonymously, if you will, for the longest time. And they kept saying, look, you know, I I really want to meet with you. I have some things I would like to give you. I think you you should have these. You should know about this. Well, they wouldn't tell me what it was. And I had no idea who they were. And I kept telling them, look, I'm not... um, I'm not in the business of meeting with strangers about things I don't even know what they are. I, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. just not going to do that. You're going to have to either tell me who you are, um, or you're going to have to tell me what it's about, or I just simply cannot do that. So this went on for about a year. Finally, they reached out again, and they maybe, I don't know, caught me at the right time or whatever it was. But finally, I said, okay, look, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of, I've kind of uh, had it with this conversation. Um, if you want to meet me, I'm going to meet you today. I'm going to tell you where and what time. And, um, you know, let's do this. If we're going to do it, let's do it now. And they agreed. You know, I picked the place and I uh, brought somebody with me and actually had about uh, four or five other people uh, waiting outside as well in different vehicles, um, you mm-hmm. know, just for security reasons. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, I, I met with this person and they brought in this big old cardboard box. 
And I'm kind of just looking at them. I'm looking at the box. They plop it down, and they said, uh, I want you to have this. I want you to go through this, and uh, here's here's my number. After you do, contact me. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. that was kind of about it. We had a very minimal conversation, and I took the box with me, and I started going through it. And when I did, I didn't really know what to think. My first thought was, you know, maybe this is a, a work of fiction, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is a project this person's doing. I don't understand because I'm reading these, what, uh, what looks to be police reports, uh, saying some of the most, uh, wildest things you could ever imagine huh. things that Hollywood wouldn't even come up with. And, uh, so I just, you know, started doing a little bit of detective work and, uh, you know, started writing down all these names on these reports and then looking up these individuals and um, all the uh, officers that were, you know, still alive, uh, because, again, you know, this started in 74, probably a lot of them were around middle age, and sadly they're no longer here. But the ones that were uh, pretty much all said the same thing. Uh, they, they would pick up the phone, and I would introduce myself, and I would say, hey, uh, does this address sound familiar to you? And then they kind of chuckled and said, my God, I wondered when somebody would be calling about this one day. Huh. And I said, so... Did, it, did this really happen? And they said, oh, yes, it did. It sure did. And then I would kind of say to them, uh, well, what was the cause? You know, what, what what do you think it was? And they said, well, I never believed in this kind of stuff and uh, ever in my life. But I'll tell you one thing, it happened. And that was the consensus of everyone we spoke to. Wow. You know, this is our shorter break. So let's do this. Let's take another break. When we come back, Uh, We're going to continue our conversation with paranormal investigator and filmmaker Steve Shippey. You're listening to Ghost Box Radio on AM 950. And Ghost Stories and Beyond returns to Billy's in Anoka March 1st at 6.30 p.m. Join Char Savoy and myself for our monthly in-person get-together as we share some paranormal stories that happen to us, but also listen to your stories, too. Share your stories of ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoots. We want to hear it all. It's a fun night of listening to ghost stories, and there will be spirits there such as booze, because it is a bar. It's $10 a ticket to join in. It does not cover food or drink, uh, but I'll tell you, the food is amazing. The wait staff is great. The stories are fantastic. We're going to see you March 1st at 6.30 p.m. at Billy's in Anoka. And I do want to do a quick plug for Discovery Plus since I have Steve on today. Um, If you don't have it, get it. Obviously, from a paranormal perspective, it's a treasure trove of material covering this genre from ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, including series that I haven't seen in on the air in years, such as my personal favorite, My Ghost Story. There's a ton of new content getting added exclusively to the streaming service and has shows from so many other networks that covers DIY, food, travel, science. I love watching the episodes of Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations. Go to discoveryplus.com. That's discovery and plus is spelled out, P-L-U-S dot com. Sign up today. And if you miss uh, Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken Live, AM 950 replays these episodes Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Or you can listen anytime by going to Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. After listening, please leave a positive review for my show. I'd greatly appreciate it. Our guest today is paranormal investigator and filmmaker Steve Shippey, whose latest installment of Shock Docs titled Michigan Hellhouse airs Sunday, February 19th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on the Travel Channel and drops on Disney Plus the same day. 
Steve, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the some of the evidence that you picked up when you were doing the investigation. I mean, some of that stuff was truly amazing, and I, I really want to point out to people. For those of you who wonder if this stuff is real, this stuff is staged, if this stuff is, uh, you know, just like it's it's all done for television, I would like to present as Exhibit A of evidence Cindy Kaza's response to um, the EVP that you both got outside of the house the first night that you were there. Yeah, that was definitely a very hair-raising Thing to capture. So uh, Cindy and I had just kind of, you know, got on the property and, and did a walkthrough. And, and ultimately, you know, we, we did hear a few different things that caught our attention. So I kind of suggested, well, hey, you know, do you want to just do a little impromptu investigation out here right now? Uh, of course, she, you know, obliged and we started. During this process, as I was walking up to the side of the house, it was actually the corner where the pounding had first started yep. uh, in the 70s with this case, so we kind of focused on that area. I had saw something in the window, uh, something that was in one of the bedrooms. It kind of looked like a white, maybe semi-translucent figure, uh, but not quite a figure. It's kind of hard to explain, but something certainly was moving around in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we knew that none of us, you know, being the crew, nobody was in the house at the time. And uh, the family that lives there was not there. And um, so right away that caught my attention. And I kind of walked over to the window, peered in there, and decided to pull out my uh, recorder, Panasonic DR60. Pulled that out and uh, hit record. I had placed the device on the windowsill. And started asking some questions. Of course, you know, we're on the outside. And um, after a few questions, I grabbed the recorder, started playing it back, uh, had my ear up to it. Cindy leaned in. Both of us are listening to it in real time. Mm -hmm. And we hear a very creepy female voice saying, you're all going to die. With with such a a staccato, if you will, such a a force. And, And Cindy's reaction is actually what almost gives me more chills than the EVP. Yeah, yeah. She her reaction was uh, was very impactful. I mean, you know, I, I've been, I've dealt with this case for so long. I guess I I hate to say it, but it didn't surprise me uh, to hear something like that. But I think that uh, you know her reaction kind of um, sobered me back up to the ramifications of this case. You know, sometimes yeah. when you work on something, you you get a little desensitized to it, but. Uh, it, yeah, it, it was shocking. I mean, you know, all of us were there. You know, I pulled the recorder out of my pocket. We all saw me hit record and pick it back up and play it back. And, uh, you know, there's that voice. How do you explain that? There was That wasn't something where, oh, well, you know, it could have maybe kind of have been a dog in the back. No, no. This was clearly, clearly a voice speaking right into the recorder. And there's no mistaking what it said. <laughs> no, not at all. And and a little bit of context, folks, is that, uh, you know, we talked about ghost stories and beyond. And a couple of weeks back, we actually were able to bring in Dave Schrader as a guest for one of our ghost stories and beyond. beyond. And he tells the story about how sometimes, and this is how television works on those episodic televisions, that the reactions are real. Sometimes they might ask you to do the reaction again because they didn't catch it or whatever reason. And... One thing Dave said, he's like, Cindy cannot do 
the reaction twice. If it's she can only do it once, and that's that's the real reaction that you get. So if you didn't get it on camera, you're not going to get it from her at all. That is that is that is what he said. So I that immediately ran to mind when I saw her reaction to it, and you know, and also somebody such as Cindy who is so seasoned and so good at what she does. When something when she just says that scares me, you know that that immediately just that just gets my attention. I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of cases with her. You know, we we worked on uh, Ed Gein, The Real Psycho, Scream, The True Story, The Ghost of Flight 401. So, you know, I, I've I've worked with Cindy in, in some really intense cases. You yeah. know, it's gruesome <laughs> cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it. You know, I've seen the wear on her. I've seen it affect her. But you know, that moment, I, I don't know that I've ever seen her that off guard uh, for for that moment. No. No, I, I imagine not. I, and we might go, come back to this in a bit, but I do also want to talk about one of the things I really applaud in this in this documentary is that you were able to have original recordings from what 1975 was it of yes. of the of the uh, well the Sarah, uh, the parapsychologist who was out there. Uh, and so there were, what we find out is that there are three fires that happen in this house that you cannot account for how they start. Uh, but what ends up happening is the third one, which I'm assuming was the most powerful, it kind of sounds like, um, that was caught on recording because he was recording anyway. So the whole situation, that whole situation happens on on re, on audio recording from 1975 my question to you Steve is i hear like a a like a demon growl or something in that is that is that added like not not like to to throw people off but you know there there's always that sense in these documentaries of adding a little bit more oomph to like with music in the background and stuff was that recording completely untouched for this documentary it was untouched, and I, and I know that because I have all the recordings. Yeah. Um, so I know exactly what all of it sounds like. And, and to give some context, too, uh, for how the parapsychologist came to be involved in the case is, you know, after that, that in, insane year of investigation by multiple police departments and different agencies, uh, they finally brought in a team of parapsychologists from Duke University, uh, who at that time were kind of the cutting-edge people of the field, and while they were out, one of them being William Roll, who literally wrote the mm-hmm. book on the poltergeist. Mm-hmm. And um, while they were out there, you know, as you said, they would leave uh, recorders running at all times, a huge reel-to-reel recorder, uh, always running 24-7 in the house, and then a few different tape recorders that they would turn on and off to do personal interviews. And so it's amazing to me, because you got to think, you know, I, I've been investigating this case eight years, reading all these reports. I've interviewed everybody you has ever been involved still living to this day but when i finally found out that those recordings actually existed still that they weren't lost it was incredible because as i'm listening to these tapes these documents are now coming to life i can hear as you said growls i could hear what i what i interpret as disembodied voices at different times we can actually hear when fire started yeah when the family discovers them and realize that they're happening. You can hear their panic. What do we do? Uh, I don't know. Grab some water. No, don't do that. Somebody call 911. Uh, you can hear the explosion sounds, yep. the, the tremors in the house, everything rattling. It's uh, it's surreal. I, I never in my life would have thought 
those recordings would surface and that I would be able to hear them. You have so many different types of recordings and things that are happening in this documentary that it does bring, I mean, it brings chill to my bone. It chills me to my bone. There is stuff that I've never heard on a documentary or anything broadcast wise that is just, and it's so, it's so, uh, it's presented so well that it just, it, it, you know, there isn't a moment of being like, well, is that really what it is? I mean, it's just, it's incredible what you've been able to find in this. You know, I'll tell you, man, it's, it's so, um, it's strange, right? Because, it just it feels almost uncomfortable in a sense to tell somebody this is the most prolific haunting in American history. Yeah, because it, it sounds so biased. Because somebody says, "Oh, well, sure, it's your case, right? It's your film." But it, 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 regardless of that, I don't know what case could compare to this. I mean, sure, there wasn't a uh, uh, a double homicide or a triple murder or, or some type of grotesque origin of the haunting. But there is no case in history, even remotely close to the amount of documentation this has. And by documentation, I don't mean uh, cinema, a movie, right. headlines and magazines. I'm talking about reports from high-end law enforcement, surveillance, polygraphs to clear the family. I mean, I've just never seen anything like it. I truly don't believe any case like this exists. And after dealing with it, and seeing the effects that it's had on so many people, I hope it never does. So, and you say that there hasn't been any homicides or anything, but you, all you have to do is look at Dwayne and look at the effects of Dwayne, and you look at him throughout the entirety of the documentary, and you tell, you know, have someone tell you, well, yeah, there's no, there's no homicide, therefore it's, it's not on the same level as something else. You see what it's done to him for the past 50 years, and, and it's not a homicide, but it's, it's massive trauma. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and he almost died. You yeah, know? that's uh, true. He, he did. He, 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 yeah, he almost died. I mean, they had to perform an emergency tracheotomy uh, on him in the house so he could survive the ambulance ride uh, to make it to the hospital. Let's do this. As we're as we're running out of time in this segment, we have one more to go. Let's take our last break. When we come back, we're going to f- finish our conversation with paranormal investigator and filmmaker Steve Shippey. You're listening to Ghost Box Radio on AM 950. And next week on Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken, we go local and bring back Lily McNamara, who is with Paganicon. This is a local, local pagan convention running March 17th through 19th in Plymouth, Minnesota. She's going to be here to talk about all the great things that are happening at the convention this year. You can get tickets at tcpaganpride.org. That's tcpaganpride.org. For our final segment, we return to our guest today, paranormal investigator and filmmaker Steve Shippey, whose latest installment of Shock Docs, titled Michigan Hellhouse, airs Sunday, February 19th at 8 p.m. on the Travel Channel and drops on Discovery Plus the same day. You know, Steve, you know, you kind of hint, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to ask you, you know, as a paranormal investigator, as somebody speaking for yourself, as somebody as a paranormal investigator, as somebody who's worked on this case for eight years, I mean, you have to have, you have to feel some kind of ownership to this, don't you? 
Yeah, definitely. I do. I feel a lot of responsibility, too, because, you know, um, having worked with the surviving members of the family, the two brothers, uh, for so long, we've become friends. You know, we've become, uh, I don't know, almost family in a weird way. Uh, on holidays, I, I stop by and see them. Um, you know, they, they don't have uh, hardly anybody left in their lives. So, yeah. you know, we've, we've kind of become a family in a, in a strange way. And um, I care about both of them quite a bit. And, uh, the memory of their parents and wanting to vindicate them because they went through a lot, man. They, uh, there was a lot of people at first that didn't believe them, you know, for yeah. the longest time. And, and, you know, and they were suspects that, you know, again, as I said, they were, uh, under scrutiny and they had to not only deal with such horrific things in their house, but then also the townsfolk wondering, uh, if they were doing it. And, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's really taken its toll and I feel responsible to, uh, to help them and, and tell their story. And it's a unique situation for you, too, because, like you said, okay, telling the story, but also as a, as a paranormal investigator, it's very clear that you want to put it right. You want to put this situation right if you can. And, you know, I think that kind of gets missing on a lot of programs, uh, and this isn't a disparagement of them, but, I mean, a lot of them, if they do come back and do something, you don't always hear about it, or it seems very convenient to happen within a, a confinement of an hour. But, you know, as you said, at, at the time of the documentary, you're saying it's seven years, it's eight years now. Clearly, there's an invest, investment of time that you are, you know, you are very dedicated to these people to help them because you see it. You know, I, I, there's really not a time hardly that I'm not somehow working on this case. And this might sound a little strange, but honestly, this case, um, there's just something about it that, you know, it, I, I'm trying to think of how to word this. Uh, I guess I'll put it this way. I always know when this case is going to come knocking for me again, because certain things will start to happen. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. And when these things happen, sure enough, the phone rings and uh, or, or an email comes through or something will happen and, uh, and, and, and it kicks off again. Another piece of the puzzle, another eyewitness comes forward, another uh, batch of documents are, 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 are discovered. And it, it's just very strange, man. That uh, Here, I'll even tell you something that didn't make the documentary that really uh, put it in perspective. When I went to talk to the brothers and I was letting them know I'm opening the case up again and and kind of informing them of that, we're, we're sitting in this, you know, small kitchen area at the table, and I hear uh, these two gigantic pounds just boom, boom, come right from the kitchen where we're all seated. None of us are moving. We're all in clear view of each other, but yet these two distinct pounding noises happen that kind of shook the whole room. And they're looking at me. I'm looking at them. And we're all in disbelief because literally uh, one of the brothers, Dwayne, was talking about the pounding in their house. And as soon as he finished his sentence, that's when it happened. Unbelievable. You know, I, it's a shame that, especially with Discovery Plus being a platform that you couldn't uh, you couldn't do something where you have like, here's the documentary and here is some extra stuff that you might find interesting as well. Because I, that's stuff that, boy, I think so many people would just love to see. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's always a very um, it's a very difficult thing because you know no matter what you know when you film for so many hours and so many things happen, 
we know we're just kind of unfortunately under that time constraint. Absolutely. Of how do you fit this into two hours? Um, yeah. And of course, me as an investigator, I, I want everyone to see it all, all the evidence, every EVP, every moment. But you know, we, but we do the best we can. Yeah. No. And and I mean, I I cannot stop praising this program because it is it is so it is so incredible what you've figured out and accomplished. Do you uh you know you said that that there is still knocking. Does it still knock even now? Then I mean, it's still you're still getting something that you are um, that you called you back to this case. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, without a doubt. I mean, it's it, it, like I said, it's strange, and I know it, it probably sounds maybe a little crazy, but realistically, as long as I've worked on this case, there is certain things that kind of happen every time, and then all of a sudden, somehow, some way, there's another breakthrough in the case. Um, it's very bizarre. I, I don't know how to explain it. And I, sometimes I feel almost that the, uh, the family, you know, themselves, uh, th- that are no longer with us are almost guiding me in a sense, because, you know, uh, it just, it, it just keeps happening. It keeps unfolding more and more and more. I've never worked on a case this long in my life. And, um, it just, you know, the more that we dig, uh, the more that comes forward. And sometimes, even when we think that we've learned all that there is to learn, again, it comes knocking again and more uh, unfolds. It's just incredible. I just, I am just in awe of what, I, what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing. Uh, real fast, we have just under a minute left. You're, is there more to come? Is there more for us to see from you about this case, do you think? I, I think it's inevitable. I, I, I think there's no doubt. In fact, uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess all I can say is yes, for sure. Uh, there's been another recent development that even blows my mind further that I even can't believe at this moment that uh, I'm pretty sure there's going to be more. Yes. Wow. I mean, it's it's interesting because there is there is there is finality. But it when you put out the documentary, did you feel like that? there was finality or did you feel like that there's always more? I mean, at that point we were already getting more. I mean, you know, at that point I did not know there was more, but just knowing all that I know. And as long as I've worked on this case, I had a gut feeling that it wasn't truly over. And, uh, just only two and a half weeks ago, somebody reached out to me and, uh, what they told me just blew my mind. And I, I just had a feeling that it, uh, it wasn't over. Wow. Steve Shippey is a paranormal investigator and filmmaker. His latest shock doc release, Michigan Hellhouse, premieres Sunday, February 19th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on the Travel Channel and drops on Discovery Plus the same day. Steve, thank you so much. I hope that you'll come back and talk with me more. This is incredible. Yeah, anytime. I'll definitely return. Thank you so very much. It was great to have you. And uh, this has been Ghost Box Radio with Greg Bakken and AM950. Thank you all for joining me. Next week, we're going to have Lily McNamara from Paganicon. Have a great week, everyone. Take care. Take care.